Good morning. This morning's Bible uh, scripture reading is in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 9. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold which perishes through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him though you have not seen him, and though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for prayer, shall we? Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together, and thank you for leading us in worship, guys, and thank you for that great song that points us to God's great gift of salvation today. Lord, thank you that we can come to you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that is ours to gather together in, uh, in worship, and um, we just pray your continued work among us as we come to your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll help us see Jesus, and um, Lord, draw us into a deeper relationship with you today. Help me, Lord, as I preach your word, and may your spirit be with listeners today. And together, Lord, we count this an awesome privilege. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, one of the ways in which uh, people can identify, you know, with Philpott Church and express their commitment to uh, this church and to each other is through membership. And uh, over the last little while, we've had a number of uh, new uh, members, and we just want to quickly highlight that today. Uh, Steve and Margaret Forbes are right over here. You want to stand right, right quick over here? This is Steve and Margaret, of course. Welcome. Thank you. You know, many, many of these people, of course, have been a part of our church and serving, and so we just want to uh, acknowledge that they've also uh, decided to be, to be take. Take, a, uh, take up membership here with, with our church. Uh, Nadia is up here, I think, up in the... Uh, just stand right quickly, Nadia, so everyone can... There you go. Welcome, Nadia. Uh, thank you. Nadia is a member here and involved in our church and serving in different capacities. And uh, Russell. Good name, Russell. Stand up and... Yeah. Russell Colburn has also recently become a member uh, of our church, and so it's a uh, pleasure to welcome you uh, as a member this morning, uh, Russell. So again, if, if there are others of you who would like to learn more about that and you're interested in identifying uh, yourself uh, in, in that kind of a way here at Philpot, please come and talk to us, and there's information, I think, at the welcome desk, and we'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that. Now, before... Before we get to preaching, I don't want anyone to be disappointed. 
and me not talk about Newfoundland. <laughs> so let's just get this out of the way. All right, yes, Newfoundland had snow. Uh, we had a little dusting yesterday, and we're just going to continue on. All right, so we got that out of the way. Uh, everyone is fine in, 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 in back home, family as well. They didn't lose the power. They were inside. Lots of food, and uh, so everyone is just a-okay. All right, so let, let's, let's get that out of our minds, all right? Uh, Newfoundland had snow. We had a little dusting, and, and everything, everything is just, just fine. All right. All jokes aside, that was a massive storm. I, I, I've lived through a lot of uh, storms in my time in Newfoundland, but I don't recall ever there being like a, a state of emergency. Like that's something we would make fun of you guys for uh, back home. So actually some of us are a little concerned that it actually went to that length, you know, because we've got this reputation uh, to, to protect. And so often, you know, we'd be making fun of like a day like yesterday. And if that shut something down, we'd be like, come on, guys. I mean, that's just... A, a few flurries, right? Uh, but nevertheless, this was, a, this was an unprecedented storm, and there's a lot, a lot of work to be done to, to kind of clear things up. But um, all right, I, I, I've mentioned that, and so everyone can, can, can focus now in on, on the sermon. <laughs> uh, can you remember your first job? Your first job. Um, I, I remember I had a lot of odd jobs as a, as a kid. I remember uh, mowing lawns. I remember painting fences for people. I was a, I was a paper boy, and so I, I delivered uh, papers. Um, I, I had a job walking a dog, believe it or not. Actually got paid for, for walking a dog. Uh, there was this, uh, this, this, this lady who actually moved into our hometown and bought a property right next to my grandparents. And she turned this into a bed and breakfast. And, and she had this big dog that had its own bed, like a real bed. Uh, and and I, I did some work for her. One of the things was actually walking, walking her dog. I think my first, like, you know, real kind of uh, experience in the actual workforce, as I may have mentioned before, was working at, a, at the Irving gas station in, in my hometown. And, and uh, you know, I, I pumped gas and did many things. And I remember my father, when I was about to take on that job, his advice to me was... Of course, you know, work hard, uh, you know, show initiative. And I remember he, he told me this, and I've always remembered this, is that, you know, even in times when you may not be busy and, and maybe you, you, you've, you've done all the things that you've been asked to do, don't wait for someone to tell you to come and do something else. Show the initiative and find something else to do. In other words, even if you're not busy, look like you're busy, Right? There's this whole, this whole idea of you get what you deserve, right? You, 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 you work and you, and you earn, and if you want to get ahead, you've got to put in the extra effort. Somewhat related to this is the whole idea of karma. You know, karma is described as one of the most important laws governing our lives, and uh, karma comes from, from an ancient Indian language, which literally means action or fate. And it, it conveys the idea that, that actions reap specific consequences. And so the goal of karma is to act as honorably as possible to ensure good things come your way. 
we might, we might say, you know, you, you reap what you sow, or you get what you deserve. At the center of our scripture passage today is somewhat of a curious phrase. And the phrase that stands out in our scripture passage is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what, how, how does that grab you? You know, how, what, what's, your, what's your initial reaction to that? What, what, what comes to your mind when, when you hear that spoken? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our journey through this, this letter. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse number 12. We're going to read to verse number 18. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless the reading of his word. There's an old country song written by Mac Davis that became an international hit in the spring of 1980. The song's title is, It's Hard to Be Humble. How many know that song? It's hard to be humble. The first couple of lines of that chorus say, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. You know what next? I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. Well, I think we should stop there and for good reason. So, Jesse, you can, you can learn that maybe and we'll introduce it next, uh, next Sunday. A big theme of chapter 2 of Philippians is what Christian humility looks like in real life. If you're joining us uh, for the first time today, Philippians is a Christian letter written to a, a church in the ancient city of Philippi. The letter was written by church planning missionary, the Apostle Paul, who started this church and then around maybe 10 years later writes this particular letter of encouragement and instruction. And in chapter 2, Paul writes about the need for humility. A, a humility that is expressed by mutual love and unity within the church. And then uh, Paul gives the ultimate expression of what humility looks like by pointing us to the person and work of Jesus. 
The Jesus story, his, his coming to this world, his life, his death, this story is the greatest example of self-sacrificing humility. And so after pointing his readers to a mindset of humility born from thinking deeply about the Jesus story, Paul then writes in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let's let's start with this theme of salvation here. Paul Paul, Paul is calling his readers to work out their salvation. Now, God's salvation involves being saved from something, but also saved to. And so we're saved from our sin. We're we're saved from the penalty and judgment of our sin, but we're also saved to a new life with God. We're, We're saved and brought into this new relationship with God. And so God and God's salvation has has individual but also corporate implications. And while we are saved from our sin in salvation, we are placed in a community of believers. And I think it's important to appreciate that Paul's command here to work out your own salvation should not be viewed um, in, in just an individual sense, but in a corporate sense of how the, the body should respond to God's work of salvation. How believers together, who've gathered together as a local body, as a local church, how they together should should work out the implications of God's salvation. And so the issue of this text is how will this group of believers work out the the implications of God's salvation? And what we do know is that God's salvation impacts issues like social harmony, corporate unity, and issues of serving one another. And so working out the implications of God's salvation becomes the responsibility of each individual Christian, but we do so with our brothers and sisters in the context of of the local church. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God's salvation has, has, has corporate implications, but the text also you know, is causing us to think more deeply about the nature of spiritual growth. In general, you know, how, how, how do we grow spiritually? How is faith deepened. There, there's, and there's a strong sense here that salvation really is a process. It, it might be helpful for us to think of God's salvation in three different ways. Salvation past, salvation present, and salvation future. And so in salvation past, we are saved immediately from the penalty of sin. In in our present salvation, we are being saved 
progressively from the power and practice of sin. But then salvation future, one day, we will be ultimately saved from the presence of sin. And what this passage seems to be dealing with is is this present aspect of salvation. And Paul's command is, work it out. Work out your own salvation. And we often use the term sanctification to describe God's present work of salvation. It refers to how we're growing in God. We could also think of God's salvation this way. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I will be, but here in this this present state, in this middle space, God is still at work, and he's changing, and he's transforming me. And at this point, it's important to understand that, that we are not working to earn salvation, but we're working to apply salvation. And the work of applying salvation is the work of discovering what our new creation lifestyle looks like in real life among real relationships. But there's some tension in the text, right? Because we might think, well, is, is, is Paul confused here? Is he contradicting himself? Because he says on the one hand in verse 12, Paul says, work out your own salvation. And then in the very next verse, he says, it's God who works in you. Work out your own salvation, Paul says. And then Paul says, it's God who works in you. And so there's certainly some tension here for us as we, as we read this and are trying to figure out what Paul means. So, so who does the work? Who is responsible for our spiritual growth? Who, who's responsible as, as we you know, work out our salvation in the context of, 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 of this local church? So let's, let's think this through a little. Think about, think about this in the context of training for a moment. Uh, Eugene Peterson referred to spiritual growth as, as a long obedience in the same direction. And I would submit that there is a difference between trying harder to be transformed and training to be transformed. I'm not sure how many marathon runners are in the room a marathon is, is a 42-kilometer is a race. So how many could run a marathon right now? All right, let's close in prayer. Let's go out and try. Right, let, let, I mean, how, how many could do that if we, if, if we could try, you know, really, really hard? I mean, how many of us here right now could go out right now, and if we tried our very best, we could actually do it? Now, some people are pointing to someone. Who are we pointing at? Is it Sid? Mark. Oh, Mark. All right. So when are we doing this? This afternoon, all right. So we're all going to try hard, all right? And and when you feel like you're going to you're going to collapse, you're just going to try harder. And 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 when you actually do collapse, get up and try harder. That's 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 how you do this, right? That's how you run a marathon. You just got to do it and try hard. Many of us, though, many of us could potentially run a marathon 
if we trained for it? Maybe. Right, right now, you know, uh, this message is being translated in Farsi, thanks to um, uh, Natpuya. Mojda. I knew I wasn't going to get that right, Val. I, I called Val before the service and said, Val, how do you pronounce Mojda's name? Thank you. Mojda right now is translating this uh, for our friends in, in, the, in Farsi. And Puya is, always help, is also helping us out from time to time. But I can't speak Farsi no matter how hard I try. You, you try it. Go ahead. <laughs> try it. You, I mean, just try harder. I was at a couple of weeks ago talking to many of our, our Iranian friends out there, and, and they were trying to teach me, and they were talking to, um, good, I got your name gone now. Val's husband, what's your name? Dave. All right. You are now christened Val's husband. Uh, we were talking to, to Dave and Iranian, and they were trying to teach me how to say Happy New Year in Farsi. I couldn't even do that as hard as I tried. So, you know, just try. I can't speak that right now, if, no matter how hard I try. But I can be transformed into maybe somewhat of a fluent Pharisee speaker with, with training. By a long obedience in the same direction. The, the principle that I want to bring out here is that training is not about just trying harder but it's about arranging my life around those activities that enable me to do what I cannot do. That's what this aspect of training is about. It's about arranging my life around those activities that enable me to do what I cannot do. There's another image that I think is helpful in, in uh, putting Paul's work out your own salvation command in context. John Ortberg talks about spiritual growth in the context of Sailing. Now, again, I'm not a sailor. I think, James Dean, you're a sailor, right? Yeah. You're, you, you should be up here talking about this then. Sailing. Um, Ortberg talks about crossing, crossing an ocean. And some people try day after day to be good, to become spiritually mature, try harder. And that's like taking a rowboat across the ocean. It's exhausting and usually unsuccessful. Others have given up trying and throw themselves entirely on the grace of God. They're like drifters on a raft. They do nothing but hang on and hope God gets them there. So neither trying nor drifting is effective in bringing about spiritual transformation. And a better image is that of a sailboat, which if it moves at all, it's a gift of the wind. We can't, we can't control the wind, but a good sailor discerns where the wind is blowing and adjusts the sails accordingly. And so working with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus likened to the wind in John chapter 3, means we have a part in discerning the wind, in knowing the direction we need to go, and in training our sails to catch the breezes that God provides. And so people who sail are not passive. Right, James? All right, you just nod your head there. They, they have a role to play. They, they have to hoist the sails and steer with the rudder, but they are utterly dependent on the wind. There's no room for believing that I'm in control. And so the sanctifying work of the Spirit 
Yeah, it's powerful and it's mysterious. We can't control it. We can't manufacture it. But we are not passive in the process. Applying the sailing metaphor to our spiritual growth, to working out our salvation, our job is to discern where the wind of the Spirit is blowing and how to catch it. We are the sailboat, but God supplies the wind. And so we need to prayerfully ask, God, how are you seeking to transform me at this moment? How are you trying to train me to participate in your will for my life? Through what spiritual practices or disciplines is God most changing me these days? And I think that working out your salvation involves asking In what ways do I need to adjust the sails of my life to catch the winds of the Spirit? We need to discern how God is at work and respond. So, back back to the central command. Work out your salvation. I I, I want us to see how the command is given in the context of promise and enablement. Verse 12 begins with therefore. It's a connecting word. And so the command to work out your salvation is linked to the preceding passage. And and especially, I think, the promise in verses 9 to 12 of chapter 2. Where it says that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we said last week, Christ's humility follows the spiritual principle that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And by God's grace we we will share in Christ's exaltation. As we we humble ourselves before Christ, as we we believe in Jesus as, as Savior and Lord, as we repent of our sins, yeah, we, we, are, we are raised from, from death to life. We're raised to eternal life. And so with this promise in view, Paul says, work out your salvation. We work to apply God's salvation in our lives. But the power to do that is not ourselves. The power to do that is God's. We have a promise, but also enablement. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Promise and enablement. We can work out the implications of God's salvation in our lives with complete assurance and confidence because God empowers our doing and also the willing that lies behind the doing. And so all of God's power is in operation, active and effective in in our lives. Uh, Listen to the early theologian Augustine who said that our deeds are our own because of the free will producing them. They are also God's because of his grace causing our free will to produce them. 
God makes us do what he pleases by making us desire what we might not desire. And so God's power in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, is expansive and complete. And God works in us at the deepest levels of our lives, not only empowering our doing, but in giving us new desires. God gives us new desires and then the power to act upon those new desires. There's... You know, there's, there's a default way that we often do things. There's a way in which things work, and it's, the, it's in the context of earning, in the context of striving, or we might, you know, say the, the law of karma. You know, we, we bring this logic to church, and we bring this logic to our relationship with God. You get what you earn. You do the job and get paid. And if you fail, just try harder. If, if, if you mess up, if you fail, if you stumble, it's, it's just you're not trying hard enough. How many times have you been told, just try harder? And into this performance-based life ethic, God surprises us with his grace. He overturns things with the gift of his grace that we've sung so well about this morning. The common religious view of God is that he is far away and he tells you to do things, and then he stands back, and he keeps score. It's, 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 it's built on lists and rules and regulations, and God surprises us with grace, and Paul is drawing us in to see God as the one who initiates, a God who not only initiates, he comes near, a God who works in us, a God who delights in helping us, because we need help. And so God initiates, he presently sustains, and he will complete our salvation. Think about these categories for a moment. Think about acceptance. The common, the common view and, is that I obey, therefore I'm accepted. God surprises us with grace and says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. The, the, the common view regarding motivation is that motivation is based on fear and insecurity. And what does God do? He surprises us with grace, with a motivation that's based upon grateful joy. Think about obedience. The common view of obedience is that I obey God in order to get things from God. God surprises us with his grace, which says, I obey God to delight in him and resemble, resemble him. Here's the picture I want us to see. God initiates and we respond God supplies the wind and we adjust the sails of our lives to catch the winds of the Spirit. As one person writes, God gives you a new nature, so live according to it. God gives you new desires, so feed them, nurture them. 
God gives you new gifts, so serve in ministry. God gives you a new power through the Holy Spirit, so live in accordance with the power of the, with the Spirit, not of your own desires and will, which were previously incapable of obeying God. One theologian likens divine sovereignty and human responsibility like two pedals on a bike. It's a good analogy. God works and you respond. God works something in you and you work it out with him. God gives you a good desire, you obey him. God convicts you of a sin, you repent. God teaches you something and you learn it. God initiates, you respond, and together you make progress in your relationship. And it's always good for us to be reminded that along this process, yeah, we're secure in the grace of God. He holds us and will not let us go. Let's remember that grace is um, it's contrasted with earning, but not with effort. Because well-directed, decisive, and sustained grace-enabled effort is the key to working out our salvation. So, uh, what, what, about this, what about the fear and trembling part? Work out your salvation with, with fear and with trembling. Certainly, I think we can say that Paul means that one does not live out the gospel casually or lightly. Applying God's salvation in our lives, in the corporate body, is a serious matter. And how God's salvation is worked out in the context of our churches is a serious matter. And so this is not to be done casually or lightly, but, learn, but by learning what it means to stand in awe and wonder of the living God. There is a gladness in life that grows from the soil of a reverential awe of God, that a life lived in awe of God's salvation and an amazement at Jesus' example of humility and selfless love. And friends, as we think about what God has done for us, it causes us to stand in awe, to marvel at him and to obey. It's a gladness. It's, we, we gladly obey. We take it serious, but we find great joy because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Well, let's finish up because we've got a, a marathon to run. Paul, Paul, moves to, uh, Paul moves to some practical matters. What does it look like to work out your salvation practically? As he's writing to this local, local church, verses 14 to 18. What does this look like? Well, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain 
or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. So likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so, you know, there, this, is a, this is a sanctification passage, this growing in God passage, but there's also an element that this is a, an evangelism passage. Because the working out of our salvation has in view, as he says in verse 15, what? Shining as lights in the world. And, and you'll note that, that there's, there's, some, there's some tension here because he, as he describes uh, the world in, in this context as you know, this crooked and twisted generation. And so there, we can expect this tension as we live out our faith. We can expect this tension as, as we as individuals, but also as a corporate body, as we seek to work this out. Because a new creation lifestyle will often bump up, bump up against commonly accepted cultural norms and values. But as a people who've been transformed by God, we're called to rest in God's work of grace in our lives and to shine. And so we need to take that seriously. Uh, this week there was a, um, in, in Faith Today, uh, reporting on this major study by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. And we may talk about this more in, in coming weeks, but this major study that was done. Uh, and, and just very quickly saying that half of Canadians are either agnostic, atheist, or unreligious. Only a tenth attend religious services weekly, and just 6% are evangelical affiliates. And, and we, we might come back to it and flesh out this, this, this report even more, but I, I raise that to say that we need to take this message seriously. That, that working out our salvation as a corporate body is a serious matter because working out our salvation has the aim of shining as lights in the world. And, 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 and this, this study is just reminding us that our world needs some light. And so how do we shine? There's at least three things Paul says. We shine by... Guarding our attitude. He says, living without grumbling or disputing. Now I get it, grumbling is fun sometimes. Yeah, I understand it. You know. Grumbling, you know, we all like to grumble sometimes, right? But Paul says, yeah, live without grumbling uh, and, and with disputing. You know people who are argumentative? Yeah, don't, don't do that. Paul, Paul says, just, just stop, stop that. Don't, don't grumble. Don't be argumentative. So our attitude. The second thing is, is hold fast to the message of life. Right? Just, just hold fast to the, to the gospel message. And then we shine by having this patient, joyful endurance. This eternal outlook. And so then Paul ends this section and says, be glad. And rejoice. Come back, guys. We're gonna we're gonna sing again this morning. And so here in this text, Paul is writing and says, in view of, of what Jesus has done in your life, and in view, in view of the fact, this promise that that as we humble ourselves before God, that we'll be exalted and 
because of this new life, work out your salvation. But as you work out, remember that, that the power to do that is not your own. That God is at work in you. He, he, he's, he's, he's working not only in what you do, but how you will. He's working at the, at the aspect of your will and giving you new desires to, to work out. And so work that out, Paul says. Keeping in mind it's a serious matter. It's serious as you do this because we have to shine as lights in the world. And don't forget to rejoice and be glad through it all. God bless you as you go. If there are those here you'd like to come for prayer, uh, please, uh, please. What a great segue for prayer, right? Corporation, come for prayer. Uh, nevertheless, if you're here this morning, you'd like some prayer, come and see us. God bless you, everyone. Have a great week.